So we just discussed whether they're going to be show notes. Maybe that's a bonus. If you read the show notes, you get all of Aaron's wisdom and knowledge to mention during the show. That's setting a much higher level of expectation. <laughs> Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to the Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Well, hello. Welcome, loyal listeners. Yes, you're all loyal listeners. You've been here since the beginning, since this is the beginning. Welcome to Local Maximum. My name is Max Sklar. I first had a talk show as an undergrad at Yale on WYBC 1340. It was called Max and the Wiz. It was on the air every Friday at 5 p.m. My first time on the radio was February 6th, 2004. Play the clip. Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Wow, I can't get over this. Yeah, this is our first show. They're actually letting us on. Unbelievable. It's, it's just ridiculous. If they only knew. Yeah, well, I'm soaking wet. I don't know about you. Well, but, yeah, uh, it's... We, we carry through the sludge. There's got to be a better way to build those roads than to have those big piles of sludge. The main topic in the news was the Super Bowl halftime show. The one with the wardrobe malfunction involving Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson. This first episode is going to drop on February 6th. That is exactly 14 years after the clip you just heard after my first show. A lot's changed. Justin Timberlake is back performing at the Super Bowl, so I guess that's the penalty for the wardrobe malfunction, 14 years off the stage. So it's one thing that hasn't changed. Uh, something that has, back then, I had people write messages to me during the show on AOL Instant Messenger. It actually worked pretty well. Uh, but coincidentally, that was shut down just a few months ago. So now if you want to reach me, uh, there are two ways. One, you can contact me on Twitter at MaxSklar, M-A-X-S-K-L-A-R, or email the show. It's localmaxradio at gmail.com. So what's this podcast about? I'm going to start by challenging myself to complete 10 episodes. I've got 10 episodes coming right up for you. We're going to have great guests. We have a lot of topics, AI, machine learning, product design, how people interact online. I think that's a big, big topic that intersects with AI and tech in a really important way. And we're going to uh, get into some current events as well. So it'll be a lot of fun. If some of this is interesting to people after 10 episodes, then I'll continue. It's that simple. One thing that I really want to do is take difficult to grasp concepts. So uh, today it's Bayes' rule and make it understandable to a general audience. I listened to myself as a 20-year-old student. I was really able to have my words flow live on the air, but I usually wasn't trying to teach complex topics off the cuff. So this is a skill that I'm going to build this time, as well as getting my experience back and talking in front of the microphone. It's a different kind of talking. I talk on the stage a lot. Uh, talking in front of the microphone uh, for a, a podcast or a radio, it's, it's very different. So. Today I'm going to talk about Bayes' rule and more broadly Bayesian inference. This is how you determine how likely things are in the world based on your experiences. And it's really important. It's something that I think everybody should be aware of in their lives. And I want to make it accessible. Uh, this is my first shot, so I'm going to do so-so. We're doing it off the cuff and I know I'm going to fumble it a bit, but I need to start somewhere, so here it is, all right? So bear with me. I'll try again. Helping me today is Aaron Bell, my good friend, who has kindly agreed to be my interviewer and to keep me on track. Aaron, welcome to the show. Welcome to episode zero. I think we're going to start counting at zero. What do you think? 
Oh, that's a bold move when it comes to numbering schemes. Well, it's... The, there's, it's there's a joke about there being two types of people in the world that goes along with that, but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but, <laughs> now I want to know what that is. <laughs> It'll go in the show notes. We just discussed whether they're going to be show notes. Maybe that's a bonus. If you read the show notes, you get all of Aaron's wisdom and knowledge to that, mention during the show. That's setting a much higher level expectation. <laughs> okay. But, but thank you for having me on. It is a pleasure, as always, to talk with you. And yeah, let's let's dive in on this whole Bayesian question. Right. I've heard the term Bayesian in the past, and right. and from what you've talked to me previously, I'm, I'm aware that there are apparently these two schools of thought for how do you use probabilistic information and draw conclusions from that, that, that there's Bayesian on one hand and frequentist on the other. But I honestly don't really know that much about the differences between them. So... So what are they? Clarify that for me. Like, yeah. Lay it out there. What is one? What is the other? And then we can get into a little bit about why one might be better than the other. Right. This is a fascinating thing. And it's not something that I came across even as an undergrad. You know, it really, really was afterwards. Because I think that when you learn probability and statistics in high school, you're usually learning it from a frequentist perspective. And... Oftentimes when you're learning this stuff in school, it's just taught as like, here are the procedures that you use, and then these are the things that you calculate. And it's a lot more interesting when you fig when you learn like, you know, okay, there's a group of people over here that think about probability in one way, and there's another group of people over here that think about probability in another way. And like they they in the past they were uh, you know fighting, not physically fighting, like as far as I know, there haven't been any like physical wars over this, but, you know, academic, you know, barbs and people calling each other idiots and things like that. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, when you learn, and it isn't quite resolved, but I think it's more subdued now as people kind of figure out what works. But when I went into the real world, I realized that uh, Bayesian thinking works. It works for me and it works for most of my colleagues. And so that's the way I go. Now, what is it? Um, well, be before you get yeah. to that, I just want to make a, a, a point that goes along with that. I've heard the term Bayesian before. I've, I've run into that. I've never heard the term frequentist before our discussion. Right. And it, from, from what little I've gleaned, it seems like it's something I've definitely been exposed to, but it's never been called out that way by name. Right, right. Um, and, and I don't know if that's something you, you're planning on addressing, but uh, it, it struck me as odd that given that there are these two major schools of thought, I've only heard of one explicitly. Right. Well, it comes down to, now, usually they're prefaced by statistics, uh, Bayesian statistics and frequency statistics, but it really comes down to, in my mind, how you view probability. And what is a probability? When I say there's a 70% chance of rain tomorrow, or there is a one-sixth chance that this die, when I roll it, will land on three, you know, what, what do I mean by that? Um, and in uh, frequentist thought, uh, typically you have objective probability and Bayesian you have subjective probability. So what's the difference between objective probability and subjective probability? Objective probability means that it's like this is an objective property of the system. Like it could make more sense with when you have a dice. Like you have a die, it has six sides, and so it's kind of an objective property of the die that you, when you roll it, it's one out of six that don't come up on any given side. Whereas subjective is more of, uh, is, is the way I think we use probabilities in day to day, where it's like, it's a degree of belief. 
And you might have different information than other people have. So if I say there's a 70% chance of rain tomorrow, that is a degree of belief on my end that is based on what information I have. You could have two different weather services, for example. They maybe have different methodologies and they have different you know, data streams coming in. So they're going to make different decisions. And so whenever you are faced with a problem in the real world, oftentimes probability is subjective. There's so much information about a problem that you're never going to have all the information. Other people are going to have different information than you're going to have. And you don't have the most sophisticated algorithms. You don't have infinite computation power at your disposal. So basically you just have to come up with a, a probability of something happening where it is, you know, this is the best I can do. This is my subjective belief given the computation I've done and the information that I have. So would it be fair to say that a frequentist viewpoint is based on the assumption of perfect knowledge of, of a system, whereas a Bayesian approach is uh, based on the assumption that, that you have imperfect knowledge and you are going to try and optimize for that, that knowledge that you do have? Right, right. And let's look at like why these things are called Bayesian and frequentist. Frequentist uh, is, you know, comes from the word frequency. So the idea is you run an experiment over and over and over again with the exact parameters of the experiment specified. And you run the experiment, say like an infinite number of times, or let's say a very, very large number of times, so it's like almost infinite. And you, you can finally come up with a probability, like, hey, we, we, we ran this experiment you know, a million times, and this thing happened 100,000 times that way. Uh, there's a 10% chance of this happening. Now that could work in, in some areas in life. Like I, I use like the dice and the coin and any casino games, essentially, frequentist stuff works. And sometimes you have experiments in science where you do want to run exact experiments over and over again and, and get an answer and it works there. But in most areas you can't, you don't have an experiment that you could run again and again. So, I mean, a good example I so, use is so weather. Yeah. Frequentist would be the realm of, of Monte Carlo simulations and the like is Well you could still do you could still do Monte Carlo simulations. Well, yes. Uh yeah, no, I would agree. Yes. So if you have uh so oftentimes when I think of a uh a Monte Carlo simulation, you're kind of trying to draw from a, a single probability distribution many times over. And so that would be uh that would be a frequentist technique. Um but oftentimes you would try to say, okay, what's the probability that a certain event will happen under these conditions? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I should have just said yes. Um, no, I, I, I'm trying to overthink the problem sometimes. But yes, I think, um, right, and, and the real world, in, in many real world problems, I shouldn't say the real world because both are applicable, but weather is a good example that I use because you're never going to have the same conditions again. Obviously, a lot of the stuff that we're doing at Foursquare where it's, um, you're trying to figure out, you know, behavior for, uh, you know, customer behavior for marketing. Well, those experiments are never going to be the same again. So in many areas in life, looking at probability as an objective force doesn't work. Now, we talked about the difference in terms of probability. What's the difference in terms of, oh, and the name Bayes rule comes from, you know, uh, Bayes, I forgot his first name, Thomas Bayes, there it is. And he was a reverend in the... 18th century, I believe, but 
he came up with Bayes' rule, which we'll talk about in a second. But it actually wasn't didn't become popular until you know the 20th century, more recently, really, because computation makes it a lot easier to think in terms of that. But in terms of Bayesian statistics um, versus frequentist statistics, uh, in in Bayesian statistics, you have a degree of belief that something is true, and then you apply Bayes' rule, which says, okay, what's the probability that I think something is true? What's the new data that came in? And then what is my updated probability that I think it's true? So essentially you're like, here's my view of the world, here's my view of an issue. Some information came in, then I update my view of the issue. And so I think when you're tackling problems and how to react, that is often a really helpful framework. Interesting. One thing that struck me as uh, potentially interesting there was you were talking about testing or, or analysis you guys are doing at Foursquare. Yeah. Where does A-B testing and that type of thing, kind of on, on the marketing side, where does that fit into the Bayesian versus frequentist realm? Yeah, well, it's interesting. So I think that A-B testing could be more of a frequentist technique where you're trying to do a very specific test of, let's say, I mean, a good example in Foursquare would be say that when we change the home page in Foursquare, and we want to see how that reacts in terms of how many searches people do. And so we randomly assign Foursquare users in the, in the Foursquare City Guide app into two groups, A and B, completely random. One gets the old home page, another group gets the new home page, and then we can do this experiment over and over and over again and see how it affects the visit rate. So that is more of a frequentist experiment. But Bayesian experiments are one where you can't do that. So in a, in a perfect world, you can always do A-B tests. A-B tests are often you know, expensive. First of all, you're only choosing between two options. If you choose between three, four, five more options, then you're going to have less, a smaller sample size. It gets harder and harder. They can be very difficult to set up, sometimes impossible to set up. What I'm doing now with, with one of our products is trying to, one of our ad products, trying to predict how likely is it that somebody is going to visit a particular store tomorrow, any given person. And we want to make use of all the information that we have about that person. There's no like, you know, experiment. I guess you could say if we had an, a large number of people that were exactly equivalent to that person, uh, then maybe we can get that visit percentage, uh, but we can't. And also like different days are different. So if you're, it could depend on day of week, it could depend on whether a holiday has occurred, all, all sorts of stuff. So in that case, it's not as straightforward and you have to shift your thinking to a Bayesian experiment. So what, what would a Bayesian equivalent be of that type of experiment? When you try to predict how likely someone is to visit a store for the purpose of marketing, there's no controlled experiment. And, but we have all this data in terms of who's visiting what. So the question becomes, can we use this data in terms of who's visiting what when to come up with a probability, a degree of belief on our end that works reasonably well, even though it's not a controlled experiment? And the answer is yes, but you have to do it a little differently than you're used to. You've touched a little bit already, I think, on this, but to, to clarify, is the Bayesian approach always better? And it, it sounds like the answer is, is no, it's not always better, but I'm, I'm going to let you explain if yeah. I'm indeed correct there, and if so, why. Yeah, yeah. I think you want to look at things as a frequentist when you have a controlled experiment that's run many times over. I think when you have anything else, 
that's not going to work as well. So if you look a little bit of the history of Bayes' rule, uh, a really good book to read on this topic is The Theory That Would Not Die by uh, Sharon McGrain. I read it a few years ago. It's pretty good. It goes into the history of using Bayes' rule to solve really complicated problems. One of the first really complicated problems that it was used for was cracking the German codes during World War II. I don't know if you've seen that movie uh, about Alan Turing at um, Bletchley Park. What, what was that called again? Imitation Game, I think it was. Right. I have not, but I, I am familiar with the backstory. Right, right. So the question is, what setting is this German machine on? And I have a bunch of intercepted, encrypted messages. There's no experiment there, but I have priors and I have data. So can I compute an answer there? And they figured it out. Now, all of that work was classified for many years. So it was sort of buried. Uh, academia was seems kind of wedded to frequentist methods. And so I believe, if I remember the book correctly, in the 50s and 60s, the first people who were starting to use Bayesian statistics were insurance companies because they were dealing with non-controlled experiments. They were dealing with random events that happened to people with lots of different you know, dimensions and information about those people. They were trying to think of events that have never occurred before. Well, how do you do frequentist uh, probability on an event that has never occurred before? It doesn't even make any sense, right? But you could try to estimate the probability of an event that has never occurred before. And so their bottom line depended on getting this right. So they had to develop a, a different way of doing things. And then more recently, you know, machine learning and trying to find the probability of, of events using you know, very sophisticated statistical models that you know, uh, we build that goes out to like hundreds of machines a day. That's all. You don't need uh, to really think in terms of Bayesian statistics to be good at machine learning, but a lot of us do, and I think it really helps. It's, I feel like the problems make a lot more sense when you think in terms of prior, what do I think about the problem? And then posterior, okay, what is my updated thought about the problem now that I have more data? So you've you mentioned a couple of the, the big stepping stones that, that helped the Bayesian approach right. gain ground and, right. and, very, and some ways that it's being used today. Very, very roughly from what I remember from the book. I wouldn't say that I am, you know, right. I read the book four years ago, so I'm not making any promises, well, so, but so I got my dates exactly two right. Two questions for me, yeah. and, and that is, what exactly is Bayes' rule? And, and I think we've touched on a little bit of it, but maybe formally lay it out. Yeah. And the question that I want to know the answer to is, you mentioned that, was it a reverend or a preacher? Right. Uh, that Thomas Bayes, who originated it, was a man of the cloth doing that led him to develop this theory? Well, that's a good question. I actually don't quite know the answer to that, but I think that m my guess is like a lot of... Um, People, uh, I, I think he was a mathematician as well. I think a lot of uh, reverends back then were also um, mathematicians and you know were, were well-read and maybe interested in this stuff, uh, but I'd have to look into that more closely. Um, and the, the, what was the other part of your question? Oh, what is Bayes' rule? Right. Formally, yeah, formally lay out Bayes' right. rule. You know, I'm, I'm I taking... think we talked about how to use it, but not precisely what it is. Yeah, so it's interesting. A bunch of uh, 
a bunch of my coworkers wanted to learn more about probability. And what they did was they said, here is an open course from MIT. So an MIT professor has it, and we're going to come in on Thursday mornings, we're going to learn it. And I came in the other day and he was going over Bayes' rule. I said, that is the most complicated formulation of Bayes' rule I've ever seen. It doesn't have to be that complicated. It can be very simple. I don't know if this is, uh, um, if you're you know, remembering any of this from your time at MIT, but I felt like he made it a lot more complicated than it needed to be. I mean, the, 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 the course is good, but I usually, I, see Bayes' rule is one of those things that I, I think a lot of the stuff that I do in my day-to-day, -day, people don't really need to know about. Um, or learn in school. Bayes' rule is one of those things that I think should be learned earlier that people should know about. But it really goes like this. You could keep it all in your head. Okay, so first you need a few definitions. The prior is how likely you think something is beforehand, you know, before you've seen any data. The likelihood is how likely the data is given that hypothesis. So Let's let's use an example. Let's say um, let's say you're thinking about uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example. Can you think of an example? Uh, let, let's let's use weather. Um, okay. Weather might not be the best one, but let me let me try it. Um, so your prior would be like, how likely do I think it's going to rain tomorrow? And I don't really know. I just think maybe like 10% of days it rains. I'm like, okay, it's 10%. And then I get um, the weather report, and that's like, uh, and that says there's a 70% chance of rain tomorrow. And then I, my posterior, oh God, I, I'm, 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 I'm complicating this way too much already. See, this is why we're Let, doing let's, this. Let's step back for a second and, right. and try a slightly different one. So, well, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give well, you actually, a... actually, I think, can I give the definitions before we go into an example? Because I think the sure, three sure, definitions... Yeah, like, lay, lay out all the pieces and then right. we put it Because there are only three definitions that are really important here. The prior is how likely you think something is, uh, how likely you think a hypothesis is beforehand. The likelihood is how likely um, the data that you're seeing is given your hypothesis. And your posterior is how likely... How, how likely you think the hypothesis is after you've seen the data. So um, basically, you have the prior, you have the likelihood, and you want to get the posterior. Because the posterior is what you believe after, and the prior is what you believe before. And the likelihood is what the data is telling you. The, those are the three. OK, so let me, let me try and lay out a case here. Okay. I give you a die, and uh, it, it looks like a six-sided die, but there's a non-zero chance that I have somehow tampered with it, and so it, it might be weighted. Right. So presumably going in, your prior is going to be that there is a one in six chance of any particular number coming up, because that's what you would expect a normal six-sided die to do. Well, not necessarily, but... because I also know you, and I'm like, there's also, <laughs> there's also a probability that you weighted that die. I, I, but, I suppose that would also be part of your priors. Yes, yes. Because if my prior is that I am 100% sure that this die is fair, then I'll never change my mind. That's the thing about priors. Right. You want to be a little bit flexible on your priors. Your priors say not only what you believe, but how flexible you are to change your mind. Well, so in that case, would, would, the, would the likelihood be you get to roll the die 
one or 10 yeah. or 20 times and, and see what the results are. And based on what, what the outcomes there are, you would then adjust your, your posterior right. because that will give you some indication whether it is indeed a balanced die or if it yeah. has been tampered. So let's, in, let's in simplify this even further. Um, okay. Let's suppose... Are we going to a coin flip? Um, we could go to a coin flip or we can say uh, there's only one, one possible way that you've tampered with the die. So let's, okay. which, which one do you want to go with? Well, let's, let's do the latter. Only okay. one way I could have tampered. Okay. And, and let's say I know that there is, okay, this is actually an interesting one uh, that I haven't looked into, but let's say the, the way you've tampered with the die is you've changed one face and you changed it into one of the other five numbers. So one number is missing and the other, uh, the other five, the other five numbers. One, one of them is is repeated twice. Gotcha. And let's say my prior. Now my prior isn't one six one six one six uh, for every face. What my prior is, my prior is okay. I am ninety percent sure that this is a fair die, but. I think there's a 10% chance that uh, Aaron did that thing with the die, that he, he, he removed a number and replaced it with a different number. So that would be my prior. And as I keep rolling the die, assuming I don't just look at it, then I would update that, um, update those probabilities. Um, now, if I start rolling the die and, um, you know, after, let's say, my 20th roll, um, all six numbers have come up. Then my posterior is that there's a 100% chance that it's the fair die, and there's a 0% chance Aaron tampered with it because it's impossible for every number to come up. Come up. But if I roll the die and as I roll it, there's one number that just never comes up, and there's one number that seems to be twice as likely as the other one, then my probability that you tampered with it will rise, and the probability that it is fair will fall. And let's say I've only rolled it 10 times, uh, I could still come up with a good estimate because I can say, okay, given the numbers that I saw after those 10, what's the probability of producing those numbers with a fair die? And what is the probability of producing those numbers with the tampered die? And those are your likelihoods. And so this particular case is interesting because there's a set of outcomes that could lead you to have a 100% a posterior. Right. Uh, that's the other usually and that's that's when you've you've seen all six numbers come up. Right. However, the the other alternative where you've only seen five of the numbers and one of them looks to be more frequent than the others, it's going to increase your your posterior for the fact that I've tampered with it, but it's not enough to allow you to arrive at 100%. Right. It it'll never be 100%, but in this case, and I've done many of these problems, it'll you know, it'll eventually be something like you know, one over ten to the hundredth, which is like more than the number of electrons in the universe. So it'll be. And I'm assuming yeah. that this is uh, particular to the type of problem we set up here, because there is only one way that it could be tampered with. That right. There is a path to a hundred percent solution, but, and then one that will only ever approach that. Right. But but here's here's the great thing about Bayes' rule. Let's suppose I come up with a hundred different ways that it could have been tampered with, and I have a prior on which of those 100 is more likely and which of them is less likely. I mean, I don't know, maybe I think there's a 
10% chance you tampered with it, and then of the 100 ways you could have tampered with it, uh, there's one out of 100. Maybe I, I, I think the ones that are a little more complicated to do I, I think are less likely. So I come up with my prior that way. I have lots of hypotheses. Then as I roll, and, and so I have uh, a 101 different hypotheses, right? There's the 100 ways you could have tampered with it and the one real one, right? Then as I roll the die, the probability of each of the ways that you tampered with it, they change. And what usually happens is one of them or a small number of them start to rise to the top as the most probable. And that is more what happens in the real world. So you have to come up with a good set of hypotheses that you think you could do this on. So we, we, we walked through an example there, uh, which, which yeah. is a very, uh, I guess, kind of theoretical or, or academic use case, talking right. about uh, a, a tampered die. But, but what's an example of, of a way that you might apply Bayes' rule in, in the real world in, in your life or in a typical person's day to day? Well, here's, here's a good example that, I mean, I've been going on with this for like six years, but here's a good example with four square venue ratings, right? So let's say what I want to do is I want to figure out the probability of someone, of a random person in a random visitor to that place writing a good review versus a bad review. And I don't know what that probability is. The probability could be 0% of the people write a good review. Or it could be 100% of people that write a review write a good review. And so when we get a new venue, we have some kind of prior, which is like, okay, some venues are up here, some venues are down here. This could be uh, any one of these places. Uh, we don't really know, but we have a good idea of what venues of its how, how they're, you know, we have a pretty good idea that like, a certain number of venues fall into this range, a certain number of venues fall into that range. So we have our prior. Then the reviews start coming in and we update that information. And then that leads to a posterior in terms of how likely a person is to like the place or not. And that way we can figure out what the rating is going to be without seeing too many reviews. And even if we haven't seen enough reviews, we can kind of uh, we can also tell like when we've seen enough reviews where we're, we're more confident in the place. And we can adjust the priors too. So we have a different prior for McDonald's, for example, um, or, or a chain like that, where when a new McDonald's open up, opens up, we assume it's likely to follow what the ratings of what other McDonald's are like. Um, but then as it gets its own reviews, we update it so that it, it sort of reflects what the feeling is on that particular McDonald's. Okay, this is all well and good and very interesting, but how do I use it to make my life better? Okay, well, okay, so let's talk about what the but, equation is. Yeah. Touch on the formula first. Okay, the formula is very, is very simple once you realize what it is. We have those three terms, prior, likelihood, and posterior. You're trying to calculate the posterior. The posterior is proportional to the likelihood times the prior. That's it. You take the likelihood, you take the prior, you multiply it together, and then the posterior is proportional to that, so you have to normalize at the end. And why don't I use this? I know we're going to talk about like the way, the simple way to do it, where you don't have to use all this, you know, calculus and algebra um, at the end. Why don't I just talk about that now? Because that's sort of connected okay. with the formula. So here's what you do. You have a mystery in your life, and you're trying to decide what the truth is. You have all these 
possibilities of what the truth is, and you don't know what really is the truth. And so you write down your list of hypotheses on a list of paper. Hypothesis one, hypothesis two, hypothesis three, so on and so forth. Hopefully there aren't too many. The second column, you write down what your prior is for that hypothesis. In other words, how likely do you think that is um, just without knowing anything? So, um, you know, for example, uh, right, so how, how, how likely do you think it's going to rain tomorrow, but give it, given there's no information? I don't know. It helps to, hopefully we can have some, uh, some, some callers or people who, who email me and can, can give me their real-world situations. That could be a thing we do on the show where we use Bayes' rule to give people's uh, you know, the, advice. The first to one that comes to mind, given some of what I've heard about uh, Bayesian thinking in the past and, yeah. and the fact that Thomas Bayes was a reverend, uh, is, is the classic uh, dilemma, is there a God? Well, that's a tough one uh, because I think... Because well, I think I'm, there are people. I'm not saying it's an easy one to solve, but it's yeah. easy to lay out the hypotheses because there's, right. there's yes, there is, yes. no, there isn't. So some people would put their prior on there being a god at 100 percent, and that means that no matter what the data shows, uh, there's still going to be 100 percent. That's a total faith um, position, which is still consistent with Bayes' rule because you just have a different prior. Um, so okay, so your first. Right. So not not all priors, just because you've arrived at a certain set of priors does not mean that those are transferable to another individual. No, they could have a different set of priors and it could be that we agree on the data and but we disagree, we have different priors so we come to different conclusions. But what often happens in, in these problems is that people with different priors will come together uh, after a while after seeing, seeing more data. So your first column, you have your priors. Your second column, you say, okay, given that the hypothesis is true, what's the likelihood of me seeing the data that I'm getting. So a good example would be, a good example would be the coin. Like let's say I might have a fair coin or an unfair coin. Um, this is an interview question that I give a lot, where you have one coin that's fair, one coin that's only heads. So the likelihood would be like, okay, given that I have the unfair coin, what's the probability that I got a head? Well, it's 100%. If I have the fair coin, what's the probability that I got a head? It's 50%. So that's the likelihood. Then in the third column, you have the posterior uh, unnormalized, where you just multiply the second two together. And then you'll notice they don't add to one. So what you do is you add up that full column, and then in the, in the column after you, you divide by that number so that the two, that the posteriors add to one, and that's your new probabilities. So just out of curiosity, when you say you do this in interviews? Yeah. You lay it out as a logic problem, or do you physically have two coins, one of which is a fair coin, one? No, of I don't. Coin. I don't have a fair coin. <laughs> I, I no. I, I usually lay it out as a uh, logic problem, and I don't give it the same way every time. But um, it's usually, hey, you have two coins. Here are the two descriptions. Here's your prior, and then here's the data that came in. Now, what do you believe after that? And all right, that's where I'm going to cut it off for this discussion. I realized that Aaron kept asking me about how to apply this in everyday life, and I'm going to save that discussion. We had that discussion afterwards, and I'm going to save it as a fast follow for episode one, numero uno, coming up next. We're going to talk about how to apply Bayesian inference to the Hawaii ICBM missile scare. So now it gets real. Don't miss that in episode one. That's our show. 
If you want to contact the host or ask a question that will be answered on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. To send me a message on Twitter, look up at Max Sklar. This opening podcast will be available on my blog at maxsklar.com slash blog and will be followed by a launch on iTunes and other platforms. Have a great week. Feel the power. She said, I don't care what you say. You're gonna see me shine.